Betty Wolf starting is scaling and hanging out with lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, hard. Mary Goulet. So why do some companies achieve hey, seven, eight, Ote, eight to nine figures? All right, all right, all right. And wow, to answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited from more than ten million dollars, currently run ten million dollar plus businesses, and grill them until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Yes, definitely. To beyond and eight blows the, you know, blows that X. criteria out of the water, right? And uh, and wait, are we uh, are we good? We're good to go. All right, so let's actually bring uh, let's bring our guest on right here, right now, Mr. Reed Tracy, the president and CEO of Hay House. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Doing good, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to. Join us here today on the show, and uh, a lot of ground that I want to cover here with you. So, first and foremost, let's uh, let's just get this out of the way, which is, uh, as you heard, the criteria is you either have to have exited for more than ten million or currently run a ten million dollar plus business as the president and CEO of Hay House. Uh, I know this is generally public information, but what what is the annual revenue nowadays for Hay House? Um, well, it's the it's. It's a uh, it's over ten million. It's over. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You meet the we criteria. Don't that's the all. The exact number, but but we, it, it's basically around a hundred million. Around a hundred million. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and are you guys privately held? Are you publicly held at this point? Have you taken any investment capital? Give us give us an understanding of the ownership structure. Sure. So it's privately held. It's there. We've never taken any investments from anyone, so we've built it all ourselves with mm-hmm. only our capital. And and who? I, well, I know it was for those who know the Hay House story. They know it was uh, started by uh, a very uh, wonderful, famous, uh, incredible woman, uh, Louise Hay, right back in the day. And you actually had started out as an employee of the company and so how long have you been there as we as of today how long have you been at that firm so louise started hay house louise hey she wrote a book called you can heal your life which has sold about 50 million copies around Mm. the world and she started the company in 1987 when she was 60 years old Mm. and um and i started working at hay house in 1988, so a year and a half after they started, I started in August of 1988, and um, and I started. As, I was a CPA, and I started as the financial director of the company. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, we had three books and five tapes, and about a million dollars in revenue. And then we increased our revenue every year for 20 straight years. So we went from a million to a hundred million wow. in 20 years in 2008. Wow. So I know you weren't privy to the exact embryonic stages of the company because you were brought in just a little bit after that. But from from your conversations with Louise and and from obviously being so ingrained with the business now for you know, 30 years. What What is your understanding of, of what happened in those early embryonic stages to go from zero to a million? And then when you came in, how did you, what were some of the key things you did to go from one to 10? But let, let's go back to what was your understanding of what happened to get to the point where Louise, who had this, you know, had this idea for a book and so on, and, you know, put the book out and started doing some things around authors and, and personal development and so on. What were some of those uh, sort of jumping off points, if you will, that led to that initial success? Can, can you share a little bit of that early, early Hay House story? 
Sure. So Louise wrote her first book in 1976. It was called Heal Your Body. Um, and she just printed up 5,000 copies of the book and sent them out to a bunch of religious science and unity churches and um, got, and within a year she had sold the first 5,000 for a very small amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over the next few years, she, um, got more well-known and she, in 1984, she wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life, which is the backbone of Hay House and her work. And then in 1987, she decided to start Hay House because she wanted to publish some friends' books, not just her own. So if she was just going to publish her own book, she would have never started Hay House. But she wanted to publish a couple other people's books. And so she started Hay House, and then she published a couple of other books from other people mm-hmm. um, in the, over the next couple of years. And, and then she happened to go on Oprah and Donahue, the TV shows, in March of 1988. She was on both of those shows in the same week. Wow. And so that's what basically took the company from zero to a, to a million. Mm-hmm. And so just so that I'm clear on this, when she re- when she released her initial book and even when she released then um, You Can Heal Your Life, she she self-published, so she never had a traditional publisher? Correct. Wow. So she, self, uh, she's, she never had a, a traditional publisher ever. Wow. And so at that point, it's getting to about a million dollars in sales. You come in, you're on the finance side of the equation. How did you end up transitioning into the leadership role? Um, well, over the next, we had a, the company was growing quickly at that point. And like a lot of beginning companies, um, everyone thought that, you know, this initial success was easy. And so it would continue in that way. And then we started adding more employees. We moved our office to down by the beach in Santa Monica. Um, We were on 5th and Santa Monica. We had a whole floor Mm. at 5th and Santa Monica. And and we started releasing a few other people's books. And those books didn't have the success that Louise's book did. And so... um, uh, as the financial director, I was telling the president and other people that worked at the company that, you know, you guys should control your costs. And they didn't really want to hear it from this 25, six-year-old kid. And mm. so um, it ended up being that I had to go in and tell the president one morning that um, basically I don't know how you're going to make payroll and, you know, I've been warning you that this day was coming and and they went and told Louise and Louise told a friend of hers who worked for Max Factor who was one of the the business guy that helped start Max Factor and he called a meeting in our conference room with all the vice presidents which we had like 42 employees and 30 vice presidents oh and and I wasn't one of them so mm-hmm. Um, so they had me come in too and they went around the room and I was the very last person and he asked each person what they think we should do to get out of this crisis and then I said they should fire everybody 
in the whole room that was there, including myself. Mm. And he said, yes, we should do that and do it now. Mm. And so that day, we ended up firing all the people. Wow. And, um, and Louise said, well, would you run the company for us? And I said, no, because I don't know enough about book publishing, but I'll run it along with another guy named Jim who did know about book publishing. Mm -hmm. And so he and I ran it together for like a year or two, and then he left, and then basically I've run it ever since. So mm -hmm. for the last 26 years, I've been in charge with Louise up until last August. Louise yeah. passed away last August, but she and I ran it together from for the, the those next 26 years. And yeah. so taking it from a million to a hundred million, sounds like you were a pretty good student in those two years of Jim. <laughs> well, we just did things a lot differently than most book publishers because I didn't know what book publishers were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of paid attention to what our customers wanted and then gave them more of that and and then we we also um, not only published books, but we did audio tapes. And back then, not that many people were doing audio tapes. Yeah, it was you and Nightmare. And they were literally cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah. And we would record, we would produce them like in our office mm -hmm. and put them in boxes and then ship them out to the different retailers. And then we also started doing live events at that time. And no one else had ever even thought of doing live events with multiple authors and we would have three to five thousand people at each event wow Jeez. and we did the the most we ever did was like 120 events in one year so we kind of were a publishing and an event company and then mm. um along came the internet and we were one of the first people to in the publishing world to have our website and mm -hmm. um, started doing that so we did things a lot differently than most people did and so that's like we 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 were small enough to shift to each of the coming trends hey reed it's mary goulet here hi mary hey how you doing so Good. i think with your background being a cpa what is so striking and i noticed this 10 15 years ago working with you that your marketing is genius and you're like the tugboat among the titanics in the publishing industry and if anyone can work with you that is they have to be open-minded to all of these hands-on events that you do and calendars that you can make for people and being comfortable with promoting themselves out speaking and getting their um profiled yeah. Yeah, yeah their platform down sure yeah yeah the marketing like most publishers they look at marketing like you put the books in the bookstore and then people buy them by going in the bookstore and finding them. And we were always ahead. Like we used to do direct mail marketing, sending, you know, mail to people's house and mm -hmm. do that. And then we switched to the internet marketing and email marketing. Mm -hmm. So we were way ahead in the pub. We still are way ahead in the publishing world when it comes to marketing. Yeah. So our biggest competitors are all billion dollar companies, so you have to be way ahead if you're if you're competing with those big giant companies. So 
So go ahead, Richie. I was going to say, were you gun shy for a while on hiring new employees after that experience and having to fire everybody? And what specifically did you do? Did you leverage the audience you had and get more volunteers for the events or how did you handle that? Yeah. So at the events, we would only have three employees at the events and then all the rest were volunteers that worked there. Um, we, we, so in, in the next time we had, um, 42 employees was in 1999, 10 years after we started. Um, and that was the first year that we did $10 million in sales. So that it took, we went, we, we were cautious on our hiring of employees. We kind of have a goal to keep our employees uh, no more than at least 500,000 in revenue for every employee. Mm, that's super smart. Yeah. That's uh it's a really, really good metric. I, you know, you look at, we, we've got a, uh, a com that could learn from that metric quite, uh, <laughs> quite, quite significantly. So let, let me ask you this. So as you, as you grew the business, I mean, going from one to 10 million is, is, I mean, it's a huge feat, just that leap itself going from seven, eight figures, but going from eight to nine figures seems to be a monumental leap, right? So what are some of the strategies or, uh, or initiatives that you implemented uh, that really helped fuel that, that 10x growth? Um, really, what the biggest thing that contributed, so that took us 10 years to go from 1 to 10, and then, t- then 9 years to go from from 10 to 100 million Mm. and at that time we some of the things we did is we opened offices outside the united states so we opened an office in the uk we opened an office in australia Uh, we opened an office in india south africa and we we started selling more to canada so we expanded our english-speaking market and then we also increased our market to other countries as well. So we expanded that way. But the real thing that contributed to the growth was just our reputation started improving. And so we started getting more famous authors that wanted to come to us, even if they got less of an upfront advance of money, because mm-hmm. we started getting a good reputation for promoting and we met a lot of people through our live events. And so we added, um, the biggest step was when we added a book by um, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. We did a book called The Power of Intention, um, which sold over a million copies and got a lot of attention from other authors. And then we had basically two super or three super famous authors. Our first book that became a bestseller after Louise's was by a lady named Sylvia Brown, who was a psychic. And Mm -hmm. um, she wrote a book that was out of print from a big publisher and we reissued it with a new title. And it was, we called it adventures of a psychic. And then Mm -hmm. it went on to be on the bestseller list for 52 straight weeks and didn't she also appear on montel like every friday or something yeah so she appeared in at the beginning she used to appear once a month on the montel williams show and then um as time went on she started appearing like every week 
and we were doing multiple books with her and we were doing a tours with her. She was speaking in like 50 cities a year. Mm-hmm. And then just our profile raised with her and Wayne Dyer. And then we started adding more best-selling authors and things just went from there so, and so let and, and i just want to get an understanding of when you say you paid less into because a lot of authors only make money on on the advance i mean like the very few authors are able to recoup the advance and get to the point of being able to you get paid on on royalties i mean it happens of course but you know the majority of authors uh, don't make money from their books. I mean, they make money from the other activities that they're doing, which, of course, begs the question of if that's part of your revenue model moving forward as well. But when when you talk about paying them a fraction, so, like, to get Wayne Dyer, and I know you and Wayne were very, very close uh, for a, a lot of years before, obviously, he passed um, not terribly long ago. Uh, but, yeah. like, to, to get a, an author on board like a Wayne Dyer at that point, I mean, he wasn't well known, but as soon as that first book hit and he began, you know, it sold uh, you know a million copies, like you said. What what sort of uh, advances were you paying at that point compared to what other sort of bigger random housey Simon and Schuster, you know, type uh, imprints were, uh, were were paying? Yeah. So Wayne Dyer, when we he came to house, he was super famous already. <laughs> so, oh, he was already. Okay, got it. So it, so Wayne Dyer had the biggest selling book in the decade of the 1970s, nonfiction, the number one biggest selling book of the whole decade. Wow. And then he had a best selling books in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, five mm-hmm. straight decades. Wow. Um, so when he came to Hay House, we had already been working with him like doing lectures and we had actually paid for his very first public television special, even though his book was published with Harper Collins. And so, so for the very first book that he did when he came to house, we did give, we gave him a seven figure advance, but it was less than he was getting from other publishers at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the end of, um, like by the end, he was just giving us books for no advance because he knew that he would make more money in royalties from us than he would make in advances from any other publisher. So, mm-hmm. um, so we give. It's not that we give zero advances. It's just our advances, and so like we just had a, our best-selling author. He took half the advance from us than he would have took from another publisher, but. Like, for instance, for him, he's making seven figures a year in royalties in addition to his advances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so was Wayne the whole time he was here. Um, so we, I just signed royalty checks. We had over 200 royalty checks that I sent out. So a lot of our authors get paid royalties, yeah. but a lot of authors at other publishing companies don't. So yeah. that's the difference. <laughs> Reed, I know you obviously did a lot of things right. You can't just build a $100 million company, you know, doing things wrong. How much of your success, though, do you think was a cultural shift in in, an openness to read these kind of books, too? I mean, I know part of it was a co-creation. You were helping get it out there to help this become more open. But Mm -hmm. how much of this do you think was timing also? A lot was timing. So the biggest thing that helped us change... So when we started Hay House, 
um, there wasn't even a self-help section in the bookstore. Whoa. So like Louise's book, You Can Hear Your Life, went into either a cult or alternative medicine, mm. um, like those kind of categories. And then uh, there was the creation of this bookstore called Borders Books. And the standard bookstore before Borders was about 10,000 um, books in a bookstore. And then Borders started making these stores with 100,000 books in a bookstore. And Borders would take every single book we published into their store, whereas the chains before that, Walden and B. Dalton, might take three or four of our books into their stores. And that expansion of those superstores at that time were a huge, huge impact for us and many other publishers at the time, but it was a big impact for us. And they started noticing these self-help books were the biggest selling books in the nonfiction section of the bookstore. So they had a huge self-improvement section that we had a lot of books in and that helped us. And then we also had, they opened up what they called new age books. And we are at the most books in that section. And that was a big selling part of their bookstore. So that really helped us. And then came along um, Barnes and Noble books. And so th mm -hmm. those superstore, the growth of those superstore went with the growth of our company. And then when yeah. um, Borders books went bankrupt, um, in 2009, or I don't know if that's the exact year they went bankrupt, but that's when they were about going bankrupt. And that was the first year that our sales went down. We were in the top 10 creditors of them when they went bankrupt eventually. And so that was our next stumbling block. And mm -hmm. our sales dropped by like 25, 30%. Mm -hmm. And then we had to rebuild back up again. What, so. uh, what, what do you remember? I'm sure you remember. What was the number? What did they owe you when they went under? Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it was millions of dollars. And that's a, that's a huge hit. So, yeah. so as you, and I'll take a couple steps back or take a couple steps forward. I want to go forward here for a second. So $100 million company, I'm sure that there are people knocking on your door. I mean, any kind, any business that cash flows the way you guys do, I'm sure that there's got to be some decent throw off on the net for that on an annual basis. You got to have suitors knocking on your door. What, uh, what, what is the exit strategy? Yeah, well, we have a lot. All the ma the five major publishers have all offered to buy us, but um, as of this point, we're not really interested in selling. But if we do become interested, it'll be very easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have a do you have a sense on on timing for that? Is it? Uh, I mean, is there a succession plan in place? Are you the I, I, is Louise's family involved at all? Like, who, from a shareholder perspective, who who's still involved? Um, well, I own the majority of the company, and then her foundation. She left all of of her money to the Hay Foundation, a nonprofit. So, a hundred percent of her money went to that, and and then her percentage ownership of Hay House went to that as well. But I've owned most of the company for a long time for like over five years mm -hmm. and i've owned part of the company for like 25 years so did you did you have to buy people out did you do uh sort of a, an acquisition of some of the minority shareholders how did you end up with the larger position yeah there were well 
one minority shareholder. There's only ever been the maximum shareholders are three, me, Louise, and someone else. Mm -hmm. And when the other person left, I bought his share of the company, and then I got percentages of the company along the way. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, you've been there for a long time. I know you still enjoy the work and you still enjoy working uh, with the authors and, and all the uh, powerful work that you guys are doing. But uh, do you have a, a window in, in your mind in terms of, you know, I'd like to kind of take things uh, down a notch, ride some horses, go off into the sunset for a minute? Like well, I have people that help, like, we have people that basically help run the company, so I, we have 150 employees, so mm -hmm. they do most of the work, so. Yeah, so it's a good gig, yeah. Yeah, so I, like, I take the month of off and go to Idaho, and mm -hmm. I also do angel investing, I have, like, several really successful other investments as well, so. Yeah, what do, what do you look for from that standpoint, just out of curiosity? Yeah, well, a lot of them are people that, like, do products that relate to the similar audience that we sell. Like, the most successful one that I, I'm part of is a company called Anne-Marie Gianni Skincare, and they do organic skincare, which is a similar audience to our audience. Mm -hmm. And, like, when I invested, when they had, like, $2 million in sales, and they're going to have, like, $15 million this year and mm -hmm. expected to be over $20 million next year. So, yeah. Uh, so, and that's a super good business to be in. There's a lot of, a lot, the most ever activity of M&A activity last year, and and the prices they sell for are a lot higher than publishing companies. So, yeah. Yeah, I bet. And and to that end, one of the nice things about your business model in terms of publishing, and I think this is uh, similar in, in other industries as well, especially music, but once you, once you get a catalog of product going, especially, I mean, when you look at a book like You Can Heal Your Life and you can look at Wayne Dyer's books and so on and some of the other authors that are uh, you know part of your roster – those books will just continue to sell in perpetuity, right? So yeah. uh, the nice thing is if you added you know, two or three, you know, maybe four good books a year, and those books consistently sell 50, 100, 250,000, 500,000 copies a year because they're, they're evergreen, I mean, that's got to be something you look at. You, you've got to be looking at that, I would think, in terms of the – the the books that you put out is, is does this have evergreen potential for us no yeah so we call it that in publishing it's called backlist so the front list books are the books that you publish new every year and then backlist are the sales after it's been out over a year and so that's the lifeblood of all book publishers is the backlist and that's where all the money's made mm -hmm. and so we have a super super strong backlist um so, at our company so that gives us a lot of flexibility yeah and, it's, and, it, and it makes the there's two things that make our company unique is that one is our strong backlist which is much higher percentage than most publishers and then the fact that we have such a bit we have a big inner now we shifted from live events to internet marketing, and so our company 
has like 20 million people on our Facebook pages. Mm -hmm. Like we have like 10 different Facebook pages. We have three and a half million people on our email list. We have mm -hmm. 50 online courses. So wow. we have other, you know, businesses within the business that aren't just books. So it's a unique situation. So just and and just for clarity's sake, so backlist. Are we talking ninety five percent of your revenue and five percent is front? Or, or, no, no. It's like two thirds is backlist and a third front list. Got it. Yeah, Richie. Yeah, I was going to ask Reed. Um, how much of your success with your backlist do you think is your ability to pick? the correct author and how much of it do you think it's because you do things that the marketing that other publishing companies don't do those other publish publishing companies basically rely upon you to do all that right i mean the biggest part of it i mean it's both i mean you have to pick the right authors and the right books but also really the key to publishing is is word of mouth so if you get enough people to read a good book, they'll tell their friends and it'll sell forever because there's always new people reading it and new people telling their friends about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, the sales decrease slowly over time on those good books, so you have to always be getting new ones in into the system. Mm -hmm. And then there's new big authors. So, like, our three biggest authors this year are going to be totally different than our three biggest authors mm -hmm. three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that counts backlist and everything. So it changes a lot. Sure. So, so and, that's basically. And so just give us an understanding then of what, uh, of what a deal can look like today and, and how important is platform in, in the scheme of things. So we have a mutual friend in Christian Michelson and I know you pro, uh, published his book. Uh, I think it's on abundance unleashed. I think is the, uh, the title on yeah. that one. So, you know, pretty good-sized platform. I mean, I know Christian. I know, uh, you know, what he's able to do in terms of his email list and uh, his live events and everything else. I mean, in the scheme of things, he's much farther down the path than, uh, you know, a, an unknown-type person putting out the, you know, a personal development self-help-type book. But he's certainly not on the scale of, of a Wayne Dyer in his prime or a Louise in her prime, et cetera. Yeah. So, so, like, that's a good example. So, Christian is at the very, very, very low end of the platforms we're looking for. He is, so, yeah. Like, wow. he can, he's, like, like, not in our top 50 authors. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yeah, and so, so for an author, what we're looking sure. for is people mainly with, like, if they have at least 100,000 people on their email list, maybe 500,000 followers on Facebook, they or they get on national TV, mm -hmm. like, every month or something like that, they have a big podcast, those are, like, the ideal people. Now, not all of the people we publish are in that category, but we also publish far fewer books than most companies our size. So mm -hmm. most companies our size would pu publish three to 500 books a year. Wow. And we publish 48. So, um, so to make that uh, cut, it's uh, got to be crazy. Yeah. So we man. pick 12 like small books, mm -hmm. um, 24 medium books and 24 large books like that mm -hmm. kind of 
So that's like 60, but we do 48 to 60 books a year. Well, so on so on the low end in terms of today's uh, advances, what uh, what what are we looking at from an advance standpoint for a for a low end, a mid end, and a high end? What what are those some numbers yeah. looking like? So, well, the low end are like fifty thousand and less. Mm-hmm. The middle is fifty to hundred and fifty, and the high end is two hundred and fifty to two million. Mm-hmm. If you just don't know, depending on the where you go on the high end, how big they are, and how sure you are that their book's going to sell. So does Hay House continue to scale, or are you, is this nine-figure sweet, is this the sweet spot right now around 100 mil, or do, or do you continue to scale? No, it's, we're pretty, like, we're our in, like, my personal interest isn't in getting bigger, really. It's kind of just stay where we are and and enjoy it more. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I used to care about getting bigger. Now I don't care anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I would think that, uh, like you said, with all the suitors knocking pretty much on the daily, if you ever wanted to get out on that, and I assume there's zero debt on the books. Right. Yeah. Zero yeah. debt. So is the, is the net in the, in the single digits annually, or is it, uh, have we hit double digits on net for you guys? Yeah. Well, it's between five and 10%. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, it is. I mean, you've built a unbelievably, when you you look at the best of both worlds, right. In terms of being able to do things in, in today's market, if you will, and in terms of staying in, staying relevant and bringing in new authors. And then also in terms of uh, what we might call sort of recurring or residual revenue, it's like, it is absolutely the, the best of both worlds so what what is next for you guys i mean obviously we're we're talking about scale we're not really interested in scale but as a company you have to continue to evolve so what are some of the new initiatives in the pipeline yeah i mean our main way we're involving is through the internet marketing and through the online courses those are Mm -hmm. our main new sources of income i mean the the book part of the business is still the biggest part but the fastest growing part is all the internet side so mm-hmm. that's the part that we're you know hoping to get better and keep improving and staying up with the latest technology and what's happening and yeah so that's the constantly changing part of the business the book part of the business is the book business in general is flat. Like it doesn't go up much each year, but it doesn't go down much each year. That's for all of publishing, not just Hay House. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, like last year, our sales increased quite a bit, but you just never know. Like we just had a bunch of best selling books, and that goes up and down. Like you mentioned, the record business, it's super similar to mm-hmm. the book business. It, it's a hit driven business. So, yeah. Our goal is to get the same number of hits every year, and it doesn't always work out. Some years are bigger, some years are smaller. So the online part of the business is kind of steady. We've we've eliminated pretty much 95% of our live event business and switched mm-hmm. it to the online business, which Smart. is much, much more profitable yeah. Um, than the live event business. So that's kind of where we where we are. So what? Go ahead, Mary. Sorry. Hey, Reed. So going back to the traditional, I, I can't consider you a traditional publisher, even though you do that. I'm thinking more of the big house guys like Simon & Schuster, Hyperion, Random House. If you were asked by any one of those guys 
what they could do to kind of shift their trajectory in the publishing industry, what would you suggest they start with? Yeah, for them, like, they're in a di totally different business model, really. I mean, we're actually shifting our distribution to Random House August 1st. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, like, letting them do our sales and distribution. Uh, the, the main difference between us and them is the marketing, and they don't really even understand the marketing. So what they do re really is they find authors that do the marketing and they just pay authors until they find one that's a big hit. And then when it's a big hit, they're super good at that. Yeah. So they bring the cost out of the distribution model, of the printing model, and then they can get them in every store in the country and increase the sales. So their business model, like, is is different they they look at like they're venture capitalists and they are signing up seven thousand companies a year and they're putting the seed capital in those seven thousand companies and hoping enough of them get 10x returns to pay for all the ones that fail mm -hmm. yeah. it's, like, it's almost that's literally their business model so yeah it's almost like the movie industry right you you throw money at 20 movies and only one of them has to hit to pay for your next 40 movies yeah and they right. got the distribution and they got all those relationships intact already so yep, and they have a big big advantage like there's five publishers that basically can get any book they want so yeah. if they want the book they're gonna get it and it's really the competition is amongst them and then they're consolidating all the small companies so like, we're one of the top 20 publishers, so that's why everyone's interested in us, because it's a way for them to grow. They know that if they purchase us, yeah. they take out a whole bunch of costs, they can double our net income, and they'll pay for the acquisition in a few years, and they'll continue with the brand. So mm -hmm. that's their business model is acquire and and invest in a whole bunch of authors and hope one hits and it's a good business model like what, they have enough hits that their backlist pays for everything sure. Sure. and and that's literally like the person that runs random house like he has no background at all in publishing he has a background in serve like um supply chain you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. warehouses big and, box stuff yeah. right like all that and that's where the money's made at the big end when you're doing a billion in sales if you can save 10 percent, that's a huge amount yeah, of money and that's basically how their businesses are run yeah so let, let me ask you this there was a period of time there where you when, when you cut everything back and it was you and it was, uh, you know, a few others and you guys just basically said, hey, we need to pair everything back, really get this to profitability, get to the 500,000 in sales before we start bringing on new people. Uh, what was the, the key to the growth? Was it a particular hire? Like, was there a particular person who came in that really helped to spearhead that growth? Again, going back to, you know, we fired everybody, the 35 vice presidents, took everybody out of there, went back to almost scratch as you look at the trajectory of really where that hockey stick started to hit, what what was that from? Was it from a particular hire, a particular initiative? What what happened? Yeah, it really was just 
steadily going along, really. So like I said, our sales went up every single year for 20 years, but some years they would go up 5%, some years they'd go up 20%. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was really just plugging along and getting a little bit better authors, a little bit better books until 1999 when we got Sylvia Brown's book mm -hmm. where it became a huge bestseller. And that brought a lot of attention to us. When you have a book on the bestseller list for 52 weeks in a row, yeah. you get a lot of authors that want to come. And so, so there, But in terms of like a key hire, there, there wasn't there one... There wasn't a key. It was all about the authors, really. Interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, the people are, are super important. Like, we couldn't do it without all of them. And there's, like, we have like 150 employees, but we have like 30, 40 employees that have been here 20 years, you know, like a lot of people have been here a long time. So yeah. but they what's know interesting. what they're doing and they do a great job, but it's really the getting the authors. So I was basically got all the authors up until 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. that was my number one main job is talking to the authors, getting to know them and begging them to come to Hay House. Yeah. <laughs> so, so getting Sylvia Brown to come and then Wayne Dyer to come. Yeah. Really, Wayne Dyer was the super key because he's a legend in the world, in, sure. in our part of the world. And him talking to everyone saying, you have to come to Hay House. And, mm -hmm. and I talked to him every single day for 20 years. So like mm -hmm. we were super close friends and he helped bring like, probably half of our best-selling books came because of him. Yeah. So because that was the number one key thing was Sylvia Brown's book and then Wayne yeah, Dyer. Yeah, it's product. I mean, it just, really, it just boils down to having the right product. What were you going to say, yeah, Richie? That's, I mean, I, I think pretty much every company, you can say which people, what people, but if without the right product, you have no company. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, Reed, I was going to ask you, um, a lot I mean, to this last point you just made getting better at what you do is always a good thing to do but other than firing those initial employees was there anything else you had to break along the way and rebuild well we changed like our whole entire business several times so like going from direct mail to email and web marketing was huge going from online live events to online events was huge. Mm -hmm. um, the emergence of Amazon and borders going out of business was huge. Mm -hmm. So there were all kinds of changes um, within our company. Like you could say we the book side kind of went along, but the rest of it changed tremendously many times. Like we started and created lots of $10 million companies to keep the big company going. Mm. So it, so it sounds as if you followed almost Luis original vision from the beginning, get better at you and kind of go with the flow too. a little bit of what's going on in the world and also working on yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like Wayne Dyer has a saying, he says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And mm -hmm. that's kind of like the way we keep looking at the business. You just look at it differently and you notice different opportunities. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because one of the things that I and if there's sort of a moral of the story here, if you will, or a lesson to be learned, one of the things that you guys were willing to do that perhaps some of the other houses weren't 
was in, and obviously given Louise's background and where she was at in terms of her, you know, her focus. But you guys said, look, we're going to forego all of these other opportunities and we're going to and we're going to focus here on the personal development self-help niche, which, as you said, didn't really exist. You guys helped to create that category. In hindsight, yeah. do you think that was a mistake? Do you think you passed up on opportunities or how important is niche in your mind as far as those who are looking to start scale and exit from a business? Yeah, but I think the niche is super important to start all businesses and also to write all books. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I think, like I always tell authors, if you think your book's for everyone, it's really for no one. Like, it's you need to have an audience to aim at to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the businesses that I invest in as an investor like i like when they have niche audience like organic skincare sure and then i have another one in the uk they do a different kind of skincare and they do kefir for your gut health mm-hmm. and it's all based on goats mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah. and it's a killer killer business like and then and then we have another business that i'm involved with called amada that's with Dr. Christiane Northrup, and it's all about women's health and um, especially aging women's health. So those three businesses have all, you know, they all make over a million dollars a year. And they all are super successful because of that niche, and they're all growing super fast because of that niche. So. It's like, I think for me, that's, it's always been all the businesses I've seen succeed have a certain audience that they can call Mm -hmm. their own. And the the more that you stick to that, the better you do. Like we've had a lot of opportunities to do different kinds of books and we just never have swayed away from what we do best, which is do books that help people improve their lives. Yeah. Well, you sit in a, in a, I mean, a phenomenal position, obviously, is the the head of a hundred million dollar company, and then as uh, an angel investor and in a lot of these companies that are uh, are looking to scale. So, uh, as you heard on the intro, and as we've been talking about, I mean, this show is really all about helping people start, scale, and exit uh, from their business and learning from those who have been able to get to the level of su- uh, of success that you have. So, any final thoughts, words of advice for? Uh, well, let's just look at it this way. I mean, if you're talking to your portfolio companies and, uh, and, and people are sitting just kind of a little fly on the wall in some of those conversations, uh, what, what are some of the key things you're saying to folks and what do you recommend in, in so far as those who are looking to start or scale? Yeah, I think just stay, I think like we were just saying, stay focused on the niche area you're going. And I think the other advice I would give is that if you're building the business to sell it, sell it before you think you should. So mm-hmm. and that's the other that's thing. Like, yeah. like yeah. I know, like we, like I had conversations with companies that would have paid more than our company's worth now in 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. uh, to purchase us because everything was going crazy. Our company was growing so fast and. We had big offers, and those offers aren't as big now as they were then. And I like the advice. I'm one of the companies that I've invested in. Like they want to exit in the next two years, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Is you know definitely do exit, especially if things are going great and you're growing at thirty percent. That's the time to do it. Before you don't want to try when the sales drop. You know so. Yeah. I think that's the mistake people make is they stay too long when their goal is to get out. 
Yeah, no you know, point. A little bit of greed. Right, point well taken. All right, if people want more information uh, about you and uh, about Hay House, where, where are some of the best places for them to go? Well, just hayhouse.com. I mean, the main thing that we do is teach, we have a courses that teach people how to write books and get your book published. If anyone needs help with that, you can come to hayhouse.com and we do live events and online events around that. So. Mm-hmm. Very well, cool. Yeah. Well, I've been looking for a, a place to uh, to land the new uh, new version of What Is Your What, man. So maybe we'll uh, maybe, maybe we'll have a conversation around that at some point. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the other thing that we're doing, which I guess would be something I should say to your people, is we're starting a new imprint at Hay House. It's called Hay House Business. So we're going to do mm. twelve business books a year. Sweet. Um, Let's do one on are... podcasting. I'm in. Profit, yeah. profit from podcast. You know, profiting from <laughs> podcast. Let's do it. Yeah, so that's our, and we've had the first, we have really, really big name authors in the internet marketing world that are, we're, we have signed up for the first, like, five or six books, which we're really, really excited about, so. Yeah, sounds good. Well, congrats on all of your success, and Reed Tracy of Hay House, really do appreciate you joining us here on the best business podcast. So, uh, I, I mean, it was great. Yeah, it was well for sure. That was great. And I mean, when you talk about just mm, slow and steady wins the race, you know, I mean, again, never took in a, a dollar in outside funding, yep. zero debt, and and there's a lot to be said for uh, just staying the course and not letting the outside pressures of, hey, you have to do this, and, and, hey, this is how you should do it, and, oh, trusting your gut. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go with your gut. Trust it. Well, and gut. you know what's so, like I mentioned during the interview, it's so amazing that he's got such a tremendous business mindset, mm-hmm. evidence of when he was in his early 20s and said, hey, I, I'm going to sacrifice myself in this get everybody fired. Including me, right? Including that was, me. Yeah, that was interesting. But then, I mean, watching over the years, I'd, I don't know if he just had the team around him or I really believe it probably came from him, the genius marketing, mm-hmm. not doing what the big guys did. I remember way back when eBooks were becoming popular in like mm-hmm. 2007, 2005, that the big publishers were saying, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're never going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. EBooks. But, ebooks mm. and reed was on all sorts of different ideas that those guys would never do that's why i have this vision in my head he's like a little tugboat zooming around these big ships and he's like i'm going over here now nope we're gonna go over here now and he's covering more ground than those guys could ever yeah yeah and it's it's nice too to where it seems as if not only did he big this or excuse me build this big company but he almost did it in a way where it sounds like it's still a lifestyle business for him too. For him like he's, oh, yeah. he's still Absolutely. completely, I mean, obviously he's a hard worker and he's yeah. doing a lot of stuff, but he's getting to actually enjoy his life. And wh- why would you have a hurry to exit that business? He's having well, fun. You know, and zero you, debt. And all, you know. Did you hear the net? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just assume it's six, 7%. I mean, he didn't say the exact number, but I think he alluded to somewhere around six, 7% on a $100 million business, and he's the sole owner, basically, at this point. Yeah. I mean, he's kicking off six, six to $7 million in cash every year. Not a bad gig. Wade, what were you uh, you were jumping out of your chair well, I just there. wanted to reinforce this part of his message I picked up on. <clears throat> he didn't do what the other people did. 
He focused on customer needs. Mm -hmm. And just as a general rule of thumb, the more we can get ourselves out of our own heads and look at it from the customer's side, there's a perfect example of success. Yeah. And it's an incredibly valuable lesson, too, when you look at the businesses that he's investing in Mm -hmm. now, right? I mean, if you look at the success that he's had, yeah, honestly, he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't need to do that. I think that he enjoys He's supporting, right? Having fun yep. supporting the up and coming entrepreneurs. But if you look at the businesses that he's invested in, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a, a consistent theme in terms of the niche. And uh, again, you look at Random House, you look at Simon and Schuster, you look at some of these bigger imprints. You don't really know what they publish, but when you think about Hay House, y- you think personal development and you think self-help mm-hmm. and it does and now and new age although interestingly enough now 30 years later uh, he just said they're launching a, a, a business, business yeah. imprint mm-hmm. specifically so that's so that's interesting but you know what it would be when he rolls out those 12 titles i bet it's going to be niche business mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he said internet marketing is going to be one of them mm-hmm Working with the internet marketing people yeah. who have these platforms and so on, yeah, right, probably like a Brennan Bouchard and those type guys, right. And you know, and reality is, they. I mean, you took a, you, you look at the uh, the conversation around the advances, you know, and the small, the medium, and the large. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, just hearing him talk about uh, you know my friend Christian and how, in the scheme of things, you know, he was in that small category, right. So it's like even as we look at what people are doing. Those who we perceive as having these larger platforms in the scheme of things, I mean, there there truly are the A, B, C, D, you know, type players, right? Mm -hmm. So as you look to grow uh, your business and scale what it is that that you're doing, it's really important to to hone in on who it is that you're serving and how big of a game you really want to play. Go ahead, Rich. You got got 30 seconds. Okay, I'll hurry. I was thinking part of the brilliance in that, too, is, to Mary's point with bringing out the business books is there have these courses where they're helping authors write books yeah, and then they're teaching them to build their business bigger. He's going to have a bigger pool to get better books out of. Well, and he, I think part of the business, I mean, the writing thing is one person out of that group gets the deal. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, interesting stuff. And, uh, this is our goal is to bring you guests just like Reed and whether it's a ten, fifty, hundred million dollar and uh, even a billion dollar plus company, our goal is to bring you the entrepreneurs that have either exited for more than ten million or are currently running ten million dollar plus businesses and grill them until we get the answers you're looking for. We'll talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyondafigures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.